everyone, much love to you all. Welcome to our podcast, The Higher Level, where we banter about a broad range of trending topics. This week, we will be discussing military weapon acquisitions, geopolitics, finance, and whatever comes to mind. I'm here with my Latino brother over in California, Professor Sanchez. I'm here with my Jamaican brother from Southland, Dr. Wagwan. How are you, sir? Wagwan fam, good. It's good to see you are still surviving in the Wild West. Well, sir, there's a lot going on here in Freedom Land, from the out-of-control COVID infections to the national election and the Cold War with the CCP that seems to be getting hotter each week. Indeed, man. A lot going on, and not just on American soil. It is happening right across the globe. All nations are dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic on top of the normal political tensions between certain nations. All of this creating an uncertain future. And one of the ways governments prepare for an uncertain future is by gearing up for war, by way of military acquisitions and expenditures. Let's start with Seoul, South Korea. South Korea is building its first aircraft carrier, complete with US-made fighter jets. Now, why does South Korea need aircraft carriers? You know, North Korea doesn't even have a navy, bro. Doctor, you are well informed as always. So it is true, South Korea has plans to start building its first aircraft carrier next year, and after that to acquire fighter jets to operate on it. The carriers that South Korean Navy intends to field are 30 kiloton class ships that can transport military forces and can operate fighter jets. The defense minister of South Korea stated that it will enable the military to more effectively suppress threats and dispatch forces and materials to disputed regions in the sea by playing a role of a controlling vessel for the Navy unit. Mm. So it's expected that South Korea will purchase the United States F-35B fighter jets. They have their short takeoff and vertical landing capability. You know those ones mm-hmm. that can rise like a helicopter? And they're yeah, compatible with aircraft. Those Harriet jets, man. That's it, yeah. The F-35Bs are the only short takeoff and vertical landing jets in production in the entire world. No other country has them. Wow. And the country will join Japan and the United States in deploying these F-35Bs on aircraft carriers in the Western Pacific. Hold on. The hell are you talking about, bruv? Tell me why is this needed? You know, South Korea's biggest hater is North Korea, who doesn't even have a navy. Something smells funny here, man. And I ain't talking about no kimchi. Bro, this makes no sense. <laughs> I can't comment on uh, kimchi. I must admit, I do enjoy the taste of kimchi. I, I add it to my dishes, but Love I did not answer stuff, your man. question. It's good spicy cabbage. Yeah, it's good. Well, that's the million dollar question. Why is South Korea spending all of this money? Because these things don't come cheap. Aircraft carriers are some of the most expensive military assets you can buy. Mm. Uh, Buy and operate. How much is like one jet, man? One jet? Um, Yeah, roughly. It comes to about 80 million greenback, thereabouts. It depends how you price them. My gosh. Just for a jet. 80 million peas. Just for a jet, yeah. My gosh. That's not including the actual price of the carrier. Remember, they have to buy the carrier, operate the carrier, and there's multiple jets. 
we're talking about billions of dollars here billions mm -hmm. yeah so why are they doing this are they scared of the north korean navy uh i i don't think so i think south korea has calculated that china is its biggest threat to national security and it has probably decided that the united states cannot defeat china alone so the south koreans they want to enter the cold war to help uncle sam fight china mm. because if uncle sam is defeated then you know south korea oh. can kiss its national sovereignty goodbye mm -hmm. it'll probably become another province of china mm. uh, likewise japan is coming to the same conclusion they are just scared absolutely terrified of china and uh, they don't really care about north korea mm -hmm. i'll give you another example way back in december 2018 japan announced that it was retrofitting its ismo class helicopter destroyers to carry the f-35b's that was a landmark move as the country has not put aircraft carriers to sea since world war ii so conversion wow. yeah yeah conversion of the ismo was among the projects that japan listed in its most recent defense white paper as scheduled to begin in fiscal 2020 and there are no signs of that slowing down china also has been constructing large amphibious assault ships They're not just aircraft carriers but amphibious assault ships these are ships that transport troops military material tanks whatever it be across water into land so that you can invade land and mm. uh, while beijing does not yet have fighter jets with a short takeoff and vertical landing capability to use them it could because it's so close operate its fighter jets from china from the mainland mm. certainly in the korean case it's right next door mm. so south korea is terrified and they're terrified of china mm -hmm. man nations just flexing now man how are they scraping together these kind of money you know during the times of the pandemic trying to you know trying to look after their citizens and they still got money to spare to put into military weapons I mean, these these kind of military weapons, they're a bit. They sound a bit outdated. All you need is one EMP, man. One EMP, bada boom, and all the jets fall down from the sky. You get me? There are uh, anti-electronic warfare. There is hardening that you can do on these jets, so uh, the systems can reboot. Um, mm, okay. They, they do. They temporarily. They could fail, but then they reboot. So there's mm. a lot that you can do. So it's, it's interesting, man. Yeah. Like, you know, all these man, manned flights or manned jet fighters in, you know, we're living in an age where it's all about drone technology. We're definitely moving towards that. Yeah. I mean, you send five small drones up against one manned fighter jet. Who you think is going to come out on top? Well, things are changing. It's it's probably looking like drones will will become more a, a larger and larger part of the defense cachet of nations. Hmm. Surely it doesn't cost eighty mil, eighty million p's a drone. They're a little bit cheaper. They're more sophisticated sometimes, and they can do things that regular fighter jets can't do, which is mm. high gravitational maneuvers or high g maneuvers. So you you want to avoid yeah yeah and maybe you can get some 15 year old 16 year old gaming kids to come out on their you know xbox controller and shoot down grown men grown men that can do 200 push-ups what's that gonna do for them the age of humans is rapidly coming to a close there's not much room for physical strength or uh yeah man who cares about doing 
200 sit-ups a day, you know, 500 push-ups a day. Who cares about all of that when you don't even see the enemy coming and it's like a laser sight in the back of your skull and black, you're dead, man. Get me. Modern warfare is increasingly becoming more and more technological. The wars are over almost before they've begun. Mm. But nations are still buying this stuff up, right? They're still Uh, buying this stuff up. That's correct, because they still have, they're still buying the best technology that they have available now. Obviously, if more advanced technology comes through, they'll Mm. move to more advanced technology. But in the meantime, they want to buy the best that's on offer, particularly if their danger is in the here and now. Mm -hmm. All about their marketing, man. Marketing is key. It's it's marketing, I agree. Yeah, but I think fear has a lot to do with it. A lot of these Asian nations did not spend this amount of money historically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They never they never really spent this kind of defense expenditure as a percentage of their uh, GDP. Mm-hmm. But now with China increasingly becoming more belligerent and you know releasing white papers every week now saying that you know this new area belongs to China since ancient times. You know, last week it was Tajikistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, some some months ago, they were saying that some Korean islands belong to China. So people are getting nervous because first starts the talk, and then maybe maybe they're going to put boots on the ground. People are mm-hmm. really terrified right now. Mm-hmm. I heard U.S. formalized a F-16 jet sale to Taiwan as well. Tell us a bit more about that, bro. Yeah, Taiwan uh, has formally signed an agreement to buy 66 of the latest model f-16 jets built by lockheed martin mm-hmm. yeah the brand new ones and it's it's going to further inflame tensions between the united states and china mm. taiwan's purchase of the f-16s marks the first sale of advanced fighter jets to the island since president george hw bush announced the approval for 150 f-16s in 1992 so this is the last time that anybody sold anything to them in the 1990s. Clinton wow. didn't really sell much. They they mm-hmm. they sold out Taiwan. Um, that was Clinton, George Bush number two, and Obama. They really kind of put Taiwan in the cold. The Taiwanese were feeling pretty lonely and isolated. Um, they managed to protect their independence. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this $62 billion figure announced by the Pentagon on Friday is the upper limit of numerous contracts if all potential foreign customers place their desired number of orders over the next decade. It's likely to be denounced by Beijing. This is obviously upsetting them, Mm -hmm. selling weapons to Taiwan, which they consider a province of China. Of course. So Taiwan is also in talks to make the first purchase of sophisticated U.S. drones. Yeah, the United States is negotiating the sale of at least four sophisticated aerial drones to Taiwan for the first time. And uh, these aircraft have extremely long range. They're pretty much at the top of the game. So the Americans mm-hmm. are selling the Taiwanese their best stuff. They can keep watch over huge swaths of sea and land. This Sea Guardian surveillance drone has a range of 6,000 nautical miles, about 11,000 kilometers. It's wow. far greater than the 160-mile range of Taiwan's current fleet of drones. So they can peer deep inside of China, observe China's air force, missiles, and other facilities. And they fly very high. So mm. it would not be so simple for China to even target these drones. Some of these drones wow. have probably been flying over China, uh, operated by the United States. And wow. 
question is why did the United States do this publicly? Because they could have sold these things to to Taiwan, for, uh, you know, quietly. They could have given mm -hmm. them for free. So why mm -hmm. are they doing this publicly? Um, it's all about them flexing, man. Yeah, they want to show China um, two things. One, we're going to give Taiwan some really top-class weapons. And number two, also, they don't want to show their own people that they're just giving away the weapons for free because their own people will probably, you know, the American citizen will probably be upset. You know, we're dying from COVID. We're, mm -hmm. we're suffering economic pain. Why are you spending money funneling weapons to another country? So it's likely that the United States is accepting money for these drones, but they'll find another way to funnel that money to Taiwan. The last thing they want to do is to take money out of Taiwan. They want Taiwan to be strong and prosperous because a strong Taiwan is an independent Taiwan. They don't want to, I, I'm guessing, you know, Taiwan just can't afford its own defense. That's mm -hmm. the, that's at the end of the day, it just can't. If you want mm -hmm. Taiwan to stay independent, you're going to have to subsidize the hell out of it. And uh, so you also want to do it in public so you can show China that I'm actually sending them some stuff. Don't try invading. Mm. How this will affect the relations with China? Probably not positively. Not at all, man. But look at the theme. You know, who's the enemy here? Who's the common enemy out of, you know, we talked about four or five different nations. And who are they all up against? It seems like China has put itself against the entire world. That's right, man. The stupid ass CCP, idiot. Very odd strategy. Uh, it's uh, it's. <laughs> I don't want to compare them to Adolf Hitler, but Adolf Hitler also put himself against pretty mm. much the entire world. Mm. He he didn't have many uh, allies. Oh, he had Mussolini in Italy, uh, which was probably one of the weakest economies in Europe. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, likewise, I think China has two allies. One of them is Pakistan. The other one is North Korea. Mm. They're not known for their uh, thriving economies. Mm. I mean, tell us, what is roughly the population size over in China now? I think it's about 1.5 billion. Um, let me double check on that. That's a lot of people. 1.43 billion. My gosh, man. That's a lot, a lot of people. And, you know, they're all living under the CCP. Some, you know, very, very few are really speaking out because everyone is scared, right? So you've got the CCP, which, let's say, you know, represents the people that work there in government. Let's say it represents 30% of the population, which surely it doesn't. But let's say it does. The vast majority of these local citizens, you know, all of them are too scared to do anything. Pussies. It's a surveillance state, actually. Um, it's it's a surveillance state. I think the mm. mainlanders are under very close surveillance. Mm. But anyway, the world is, you know, looks like it's kind of gearing up for something that's going to occur. Who knows, man? Could be a year from now. Could be several years from now. Hopefully... It never even happens. You know, uh, we are not trying to, to scare people. Hmm. We are not trying to scare people here. We are having a proper discussion on what is happening around the world. And a lot of it has got to do with people rallying up against the CCP or trying to protect themselves against them. You know, but with these discussions, we can further our knowledge and awareness and then possibly we can get insights into probable futures that lie ahead of us. 
So there is a saying, you know, that ignorance is bliss. This is very true. But by putting one's head in the sand doesn't mean these events do not exist. A coup d'etat went down in the national Mali this week. This was not popular news because it's not entertaining enough for mainstream media outlets to run with because they know that the majority of their audience wouldn't care about it. And hey, this is why, this is where the gentlemen at the higher level come in, ain't it? Absolutely. I'd like to ask you this question. Please, mm-hmm. for a moment, imagine what would occur if a rebellion took place in a Western country. Good grief. I mean, Netflix would come out with a docuseries in, in days if that happened in, uh, in Western Europe or Central Europe or Eastern Europe. You'll be all over the place. You wouldn't hear the end of it, man. You'll be hearing it every day for two weeks straight. Absolutely. You'll be everywhere. Many things in life is like a popularity contest where he only gets exposure if it were pretty. Look, no blood was shed this time, quite fortunately. And Mali doesn't have a big economical influence like the US or China or Germany. But it doesn't mean what went down wasn't significant. You know, we are talking about a rebellion. You get me? Imagine you, imagine you getting up in the morning on that day, man, and you kiss your loved one goodbye. Like, you know, Bella Chow. Knowing that you could die that day, man, fighting for something that you believe in. Or if you were a soldier in the CCP, then it could be just rascal propaganda you could be dying for, you know? Oh, my God. But yeah, that's, you know, a rebellion occurred. That's what the soldiers that decided to mutiny, create a mutiny that day, they were willing to die for that cause. Mali is a country in West Africa. So just to give the audience some background, mm-hmm. it's the eighth largest country in Africa. It has a population of 19 million people. Its top industries are agriculture and mining. So that is cotton exports and gold. Mm-hmm. 80% of Malians are in agriculture. So it has the third, also has the third highest gold production in Africa. However, in spite of all this, it suffers from what economists call as the resource curse. It is among mm-hmm. the poorest countries in the world. Half of the country's 19 million people are under the age of 18. And over 40% of Malians live in extreme poverty. They've experienced several military takeovers. And the Malian government has been battling to contain a wave of jihadist attacks and ethnic violence. So this is an important nation within North Africa and uh, mm-hmm. West Africa in particular. Mm-hmm. Man, that's, you know, it's pretty sad. You've got 19 million people and half of it are under the age of 18. That's a lot of youths in the country running around, you know? It's a lot of young mouths to feed. Mm. For several years now, Mali has been fighting with Al-Qaeda and Islamic State. And now this, you know, pandemic as well. This pandemic, and again, desperate times, is the last straw that broke the camel's back. The people have had enough as they have been living with several years of violence and in poverty with allegations of government corruption scandals everywhere, man. It's not good life there. There have been protests for some weeks now against the previous government, which is which was led by, you know, this 75-year-old president, Ibrahim Bubakar Kita, for his failure to restore security. 
address corruption, and by way of economic failures, he has been unable to lift any of the living standards for the people. So finally, right, a large contingent of soldiers formed a mutiny, and they called themselves the National Committee for the Salvation of the People. Now, it's a long name. Don't you agree for, for rebellion? But whatever. It makes it's sense. Fun. It's not very catchy. Not very catchy, but you know, not, it's not always about punchlines. So they took some guns from the armory at their barracks. Okay. And then they locked up some of the senior military officers. So these weren't the senior guys, you know, these is like your mid-level guys. And they took over the capital, Bomako. They barricaded Rose. Astounding. Now, fam, with you having the privilege of living in the USA, what does barricading roads mean to you? I, I was younger and I watched this occur on TV in Iraq. And now that it's happening in my own country and on the streets, I must say it's a very surreal feeling. But you mm -hmm. get used to it pretty quickly. The human mind is very adaptable and mm -hmm. you quickly adopt a different mindset. And a lot of people I've noticed in others who maybe never saw themselves as willing to take to the streets and go violent, well, they drop that pretty quickly and uh, they take to the streets and they join in. So humans mm -hmm. are adaptable to their situations. Mm -hmm. And think, you know, things can change very quickly in this world. Mm. So all of in the States, they use bodies, right? People trying yeah. to block up roads and then trucks and cars still just drive right through them. I've seen it all over the social media, you know, during the BLM protests, people on the highway, rallying, protesting, the pretty crazy man that you're walking on, you know, big four or five lane highway, and a truck comes running down. You know, fortunately, it didn't kill many people, but they were injured. That's some crazy stuff. In West Africa, they take that to the next level, bruv. They blocked all the roads with by burning tires and they've been putting out these big metal drums of oil and they set on fire african style blood man and that they, is dangerous man full on like war zone style and they took ibrahim kita at gunpoint they restrained him locked him up and they took all the other leaders too they also burnt down the building of the justice minister but other than that there was no real bloodshed, just a lot of burning and you know, screaming and shouting going on. Later that day, they strategically forced him to address the public via video. That, you know, they got him to say, hey, he has resigned and he doesn't want any bloodshed over his resignation. So the country's National Assembly and government, it was all dissolved that day. As you have mentioned, Mali has experienced many coups. Former President Keita, man, was the winner of the last coup back in 2012. So it wasn't that long ago, you know, within the last decade. It was staged by that time as well by mid-ranking army officers. That coup, that coup blew the doors wide open, bro, and created a vacuum effect for the country's long-marginalized Tureg ethnic minority, which formed jihadi groups, and took over a significant part of the country. Kita, who was elected in 2013, a year later, with a mandate to pursue peace, 
was seen as having squandered the goodwill he initially enjoyed. The peace deal he held broker did not give all sides a seat at the table, you know, and his government became riddled with claims of rascal corruption. Oh, that's cancer. Man, it's, all, it's always corruption every time, you know, that one party takes power over there. Because it's all about surviving, man. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you yeah. know, you, you got this short window of life and everyone is just trying to look after themselves and their families. Absolutely. Mm. Back then, the French military assisted Kita against the jihadists because Mali, you know, used to be a French colony. The French, you know, they managed to drive the extremists back. But the extremists just, they simply regrouped and ended up expanding from where they were over in the northern part of Africa, right down into the central Mali, all went under Kita's reign. What has been the reaction from the uh, general people in Mali to this coup? Man, apparently, most people are pretty happy about it. You know, they were cheering these soldiers on when they were driving into the capital. And after the whole effect, they meant you can, there's photos everywhere. They're clapping and then cheering with the soldiers, smiling faces all over the place. It was interesting. Really? Yeah, man. The coup leaders, they've come out and they said, you know, they don't want power. They have promised to help oversee the election process for a new government to be formed. And they wish to do this in a reasonable time. However, their actions of these rebels has been condemned by you know, countries around the world. And even the UN Secretary Council has condemned them and has urged them to immediately release Kita and his officials. They believe this coup d'etat will create another opportunity for Al-Qaeda and Islamic State to expand further. Right. Hmm. The African Union also suspended Mali from the bloc, which is their word, another word for their union. They said it would stop all economic trade and financial flows and transactions between member states and Mali. They also stated that military coups was something of the past, which they cannot accept anymore in this day and age. The French, they have about 5,000 troops stationed across the region. And they've also, you know, joined the condemnation and said the priority is not to lose the fight against terrorism. 5,000 troops is a lot of soldiers over in another country, man. It's a lot. It's quite a lot, actually. Yeah, it's no small number. It's not like... You know, 200 um, special forces soldiers that are over there advising and training the local troops. This is 5,000 regular troops stationed over there in a yeah, fight they, against they terrorism. serious business. Yeah. It's not mm. a Hannah Montana festival. That's right, man. See, the French government, they've been claiming that they spend about 1 billion euros a year and they've been doing this for the last eight years in their operations over there. That's a large sums of money. I was actually quite surprised when I saw this. You know, one billion euros a year, man. The French they have one of the most effective militaries in Europe. They're a nuclear power. They, have, they operate their own aircraft carriers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, though, still, I mean, that they have the budget for this. Well, you I, know, it's one billion euros yeah. into another country. Uh, the French were really scarred by World War II, and they mm -hmm. they resolved never again to let that happen. So 
touching military spending in France is something that the French will not accept. Uh, the French people, they they don't want a repeat of World War II, so they will continue mm -hmm. to spend money on their military. They like to have operational experience, which is a fancy word for practice. They want to keep mm -hmm. their military practiced. Yeah. Meanwhile, the United States' interest in Mali is dominated by a desire for stability in what is seen uh, as a nexus for the insurgent groups in the Sahel region. So the United States, they really don't like instability. Mm -hmm. Especially mm -hmm. against the war, you know, war against terrorism. They don't want distractions right now. They've got one big issue on their minds, and they do not want to deal with distractions. They don't want to mm. deal with any kind of you know terrorism again. Mm -hmm. And mm. in all likelihood, they probably won't engage themselves in another uh, you know dispute or quagmire in the Middle East or Africa. They just don't have the the free capacity to take it on again. Mm -hmm. The main U.S. base of operations in the region, in neighboring Niger. Now, from the, the USA base, the US are able to deploy drones, right? And these drones provide aerial support and surveillance to France's efforts to contain what the US military refers to as a ring of insecurity focused mainly in Mali and Libya. US President uh, Donald Trump has threatened to close the $110 million airbase and pull back US backing of uh for france's operation so uh i think mm -hmm. the u.s probably has some favors to ask of france for example in huawei and all of its other dealings with china and if france mm -hmm. doesn't play ball and help the u.s deal with china then the u.s is going to say well you sort, sort yourselves out you know we're not going to help you and that's mm -hmm. not going to be just donald trump that's going to be any president they're going to be pretty hard line with any european power saying you've got to help us or we're not going to help you mm. I think the days of America being the world's police, you know, it's slowly coming to an end. Oh, it's, wanna... it's, it's already over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They just don't have time. They just don't have the time when they've, they've, they've got their hands full. And a lot of Americans are even worried whether we, they can even handle the Chinese. Mm -hmm. Regardless, Paris, they're still lobbying hard to maintain that support. A Trump West Africa pullback would give terrorists free reign right across the region. You know, the UN, they're spending 1.2 billion euros a year on a more than 15,000 strong peacekeeping mission in the country. And the body's peacekeeping chief, Jean-Pierre Lacroix, told a closed security council meeting on Wednesday that the force remains committed to playing its mandated role, but the country must swiftly regain a measure of institutional stability and constitutional order. Obviously, uh, large sums of money and uh, humanitarian efforts have been focused and is continued to be invested in that area. So, you know, as people in the corporate world like to say, watch this space. <laughs> man, that's some rascal office buzzwords, man. Dickheads. Speaking of dickheads. Yeah. The CCP have been preaching their nonsense again. <laughs> so yeah. China's official newspaper turns its usual racism and fascism up to 11, calling oh. arrested activists Jimmy Lai and Agnes Chow, 
prey is to the horn race. Oh, no. And that those who don't belong to the fatherland do oh, not belong oh. to humanity. Oh. These are big words, man. Oh, this is terrible. This is not good. Mm. We're, uh, Traitors is... to the Han race. Shh. Oh, my. Oh, my God. So uh, what's, uh, what, what happens if somebody's not a pure member of the Han race? Are they lesser quality or lesser status if they're not a pure member of the Han race? What constitutes it... pure Han race? Doesn't, doesn't this sound very similar to the Nazis? It's uh, it's it's almost a, a word for word quote of how the Nazis used to denounce their detractors in Germany, people who opposed the Nazis in Germany. The the Nazis had opposition, mm -hmm. and the Nazis would say, you know, you're a traitor to your race, you're a traitor to the purity of the the race, and mm -hmm. uh, this is actually pretty disturbing. We are seeing a marginalization of the Cantonese people. Mm. This kind of language is deeply alarming uh, ethnocracy this can not lead to anything good this is mm. very very dangerous this is a very bad precedent because nations that start to take on uh, racist ideology do not behave logically or rationally mm. when the competition between the united states and the soviet union occurred neither nation was at its core at its top levels of government racist there are elements of racism in both societies but the ideology of the United States and the Soviet Union was non-racist. In, in fact, it was non-racial. They both had a universalist ideology. They had a culture and an ideology, a political ideology. But they were both anti-racist. And that's why they were kind of much more logical and strategic. You know, it was a dispute between ideologies. But if it's a dispute between race, how can you negotiate with somebody who hates you because of your race? Because maybe you're not pure enough. What can you do? To make yourself pure blood mm. nothing nothing the, by by virtue of the fact that you are alive is apparently enough to upset that person what is there left for you to do mm -hmm. just gonna lie down and take it this person said i'm i'm not part of the han race mm -hmm. it's shocking i mean what what's next we've heard some some noises where the uh mouthpieces of the propaganda department have referred to the taiwanese as uh, bastardized people because they're mm. mixed with, you know, they're mixed with the Japanese or they're mixed with the Portuguese. And it's true, the Taiwanese, they have some, you know, mixtures with uh, Japanese and Portuguese people. But do we have to refer to them as bastardized, as if they're lesser humans? They're, they're, their blood is foul? Mm. Or is, is this what we want in the 21st century? Is this enlightenment? Obviously, the people there haven't heard anything about the BLM protests over in the States. Because no one is supporting, you know, no one is rising up. You got, you got over one billion pussies over there in that country. You know, straight up, one billion pussies not willing to say anything. But on top of that, what is the Western world saying? What is the free world saying? No one's speaking up about this. No one's drawing a contrast between them and the, the Nazis. Why is that? Why not just call them straight out CCP? What you're doing is Nazi-like. That's a good question. That is a really, really good question. Um, and I think as this starts to ramp up, you might, may start to see that. I think a lot of people are still scared. They want to take the CCP's money. And uh, in, in return for taking the CCP's money, part of the deal is you turn your head to the CCP's 
crimes against humanity. For example, putting people into concentration camps, uh, such as the Uyghurs or the Tibetans. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it looks like the Cantonese are next on the menu. Uh, they're not a pure race. They're traitors to the Han race. Maybe they need to put, be put in uh, concentration and education camps. What do they call mm. them for the Uyghurs? Re-education camps. Maybe that's what they're going to do for the Cantonese next. Do you remember that quote from from the uh, reverend? This man, I, I think at the end of the day, it's the fear. The fear is greater than the will to fight. And, and that and, to me is just pure cowardice. And, you know, we see what happens. Would you rather, uh, you know, stand up and fight or would you die on your knees? And first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Very meaningful. See how history repeats? Mm -hmm. It's human nature too. I mean, what motivates someone to stand up, give up their life for, you know, three people next to them as well, knowing that those two to three people won't appreciate the sacrifice that you're going to make for them. So there is that. You know, if I was to play devil's advocate with myself, I can understand why people are going to shut up because the people next to them are probably not worthy of being saved. Human just nature all... is selfish and it's, it's inherently selfish. But mm. um, that selfishness can be utilized by dictators mm. to but control honestly, people. Honestly, man, the free world needs to speak up and get, hey, UCCP, you guys are operating way too similar to the Nazis. And just make that statement. I mean, go go pay Mark Wahlberg or go pay an actor to to tweet this out, you know, and let that let that thing take fire and spread and go viral. Just, I mean, surely the CIA can go go get like a burn phone and tweet out some rubbish. Just get it out there in the world. I think it's probably going to happen. The United States wants to first pull its corporate assets out of China, but once they do that. The gloves will come off and the United States is going to deploy all sorts of communication and propaganda even against the CCP, against the Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. The United States really has a lot of corporate assets in, in China and they've got to pull that out and diversify their supply chains. It'll probably take them about one to two years. Once you do that, you're going to see a huge escalation of uh, hostilities between the two powers. Huge, absolutely mm. huge. But the United States, they don't want to cause too much trouble while their stuff is in China. All of their factories, all of their supply chains are still mostly in China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Speaking of like, you know, this finance world and corporations over there, Foxconn, one of the biggest companies that, you know, it's been made popular because they produce all these Apple products. Foxconn has said China's days as the world's factory are done. Yeah, and the, you know, this is another example. It's a good segue from what we were talking about. The US corporations have a lot of factories in China, and that's over. They're going to start moving them out. Tensions mm -hmm. between the United States and China continue to rise. So China set, uh, looks set to lose its status as the world's factory. As a mm -hmm. consequence, you know, the uh, Foxconn chairman, Yang Li, said, 
the increasing number of tariffs being applied to goods flowing from China into the U.S. has seen Chinese companies look for alternative manufacturing bases. Mm. Few are bigger than Foxconn, which counts 12 factories located in nine Chinese cities. The company manufactures everything from the iPhone and Nintendo Switch to Dell's computers, and it has a major interest in TVs and personal computers after acquiring Sharp and subsequently Toshiba's PC business. Mm. The company owns Belkin, which it acquired in 2018. They make those little USB cables, Belkin. Mm, everywhere. It's a huge company. It's actually a Taiwanese company. Taiwanese mm. are some of the world's best operators when it comes to microchips and electronics mm. because they, it's a it's a high knowledge industry. Mm -hmm. it, it's a very, very powerful corporation. And uh, at the end of the day, it's management and the infrastructure of Taiwan, I guess, creates these kind of companies. You, Taiwan is a small island, very limited natural resources. The only thing they've got are their own brains. So they use that to their maximum. They cultivate their intellectual and technological capabilities to the maximum. Mm. Foxconn is, is simply an expression of Taiwanese ingenuity. This is what China could be if China allowed freedom of speech and free expression and free education. You could have mm -hmm. a thriving university and tech sector. But mm. uh, anyway, Mr. Lee explained how his company is now ramping up capacity for manufacturing at locations outside of China, in India, in Southeast Asia, and in America. Last mm. year, Foxconn's production outside of China reached 25%. This wow. year, it's up to 30% 30, 30 already, and it's continuing to rise, likely wow. to reach 40% by the end of this year. Wow, 40%, man. Absolutely. They're, they're leaving China. And he was also very clear in his statement about the future, Mr. Li, about China's future and China's role in the world is changing, saying that the country's days as the world's factory are done. And the way he said this in Chinese was a very blunt and rude way. Now, mm. this man is not an idiot. For him to mm -hmm. speak this way, you know, mm -hmm. he's got backing. He, he likely has some pretty strong backing from the mm -hmm. Americans. And uh, I think the Americans probably sat him down and said, look, you know, you get your stuff out of China or we're not going to let any of your stuff be manufactured uh, or uh, exported to, to the United States. So as mm. a factory owner, he had two choices. I get cut off from my customer or I stay in China and the Chinese might, you know, make me give up my company like they did at Jack Ma. So he picked the Americans mm. and, and he's, he's, he's leaving. And uh, that's not an isolated uh, incident, not, not in the slightest. And notice that the Chinese are not really doing much to stop him because this is a very bad situation. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If the Chinese started reacting aggressively to these factories leaving China, it would scare everybody else and make them leave even faster. Mm. So China, as much as it wants to stop this, they can't imprison these people if they did that. Everybody would run for the exits and you know head for the boats, try to smuggle themselves out of China. So mm. it's, a, it's a really tough situation for China because they need those factories. They're losing their factories, losing their jobs, their manufacturing base. And uh, yeah, tough, very tough situation for the Chinese. But it looks like the United States and more importantly, Taiwan is applying a significant amount of pressure. The Taiwanese, although they're a small number, they're extremely intelligent and their strategy is actually world-class. They're doing a lot to really cause a lot of pain for the Chinese, and they will continue mm. to 
cultivate that pain. Exactly. Well, good riddance to to China losing a large market, you know, of the being the world's factory as they used to be. I mean, they they said they want to insulate themselves and bubble themselves from the rest of the world. They want to pull the pull the money back and pull all the capital back into China. Well, then go ahead, you know, be a a factory to your own people only. You got about one billion pussies over there. Then then go stay there, you know. Good riddance to them. I'm sick of them pussies. Not the people, just the government. Hopefully, the people can take a page out of Marley's book, you know, and overthrow the CCP. Them dickheads. Yo, you righteous people out there, we love hearing from you. So, either comment from whatever platform you are using to listen to us. We are on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, the whole lot, all of them. We're everywhere, man. Or, if you want, you can email us at thl dot the higher level at gmail dot com. And remember to subscribe. In the meantime, keep safe, keep doing what you're doing, and join us next time to digest all the week's madness again. Much love to you all. Later, Brother Sanchez. Adios, Doctor Wagner. Adios, my friends. Ho trovato l'imbasso, o partigiano, portami via, o bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 partigiano, portami via, che mi sento di morire, e se muoio da partigiano. Oh, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e se muoio da partigiano, tu mi devi seppellire. Mi seppellirai da sul montagna, oh, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 mi seppellirai da sul montagna, sotto l'ombra di un bel fiore, oh, sotto l'ombra. Bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 ciao